Shout out J-List, shout out PlayAsia, y'all already know the fuck it's going, it is. Now today we're going to do another one of these uh, creepy Wikipedias. I love doing these, honestly I'm kind of glad to get back at it, but this one's about the Ghost Ship Warehouse Fire. The Ghost Ship Warehouse Fire was a fire that occurred in the former warehouse in Fruitville neighborhood of Oakland, California. That has been converted into an artist collective with living spaces. The fire occurred on December 2, 2016 at approximately 11.20 PST. At the time, the warehouse was hosting a concert featuring artists from the House Music Record Label 100% Silk. The warehouse was only zoned for industrial purposes and residential and entertainment uses were illegal. Um, of the 80 to 100 people attending the concert, 36 were killed, making it the deadliest fire in the history of Oakland. It was also the deadliest building fire in the United States since the Station Nightclub Fire in 2003. The deadliest in California since the 1906 San Francisco earthquake and the deadliest mass casualty event in Oakland since the 1989 Luma Parita earthquake. The Almedia, or Almedy? I will just say Almedy. A county district attorney's office launched an investigation to the fire's causes. In March 2017, emails from 2014 were reported to have described serious electrical problems in the building. On June 5, 2017, Ghost Ships Master Tenant Derek Almena and his assistant Max Harris were arrested and charged with Felony involuntary manslaughter on July 3, 2018, both pleaded no contest to 36 counts of involuntary manslaughter in a plea bargain with prosecutors. On August 10, 2018, the judge overseeing the case discarded the plea deals and the pair were put on trial. If convicted, their punishment could have ranged from probation up to 36 years in prison. On September 4, 2019, Deliberations ended when the jury deadlocked 10 to 2 for convictions on the 36 counts of manslaughter charges pending against Almina, resulting in mistrial. Harris was acquitted on all 36 counts. In July 2020, the city of Oakland settled a civil lawsuit for the victims and agreed to pay a total of 30. Three million, nine million to one person who survived with lifelong injuries, and twenty-four million to the families of the thirty-six who perished in the fire. In August twenty twenty, the Pacific Gas and Electric settled a civil lawsuit for thirty-two of the victims for a undisclosed amount. Building. I'm fucking turning this stupid fucking phone off. Building, the 9,880-square-foot, 918M, 160-by-48-feet, 49-by-15-cement block warehouse was constructed in 1930. The property was purchased in 1988 by Chor NG, who is linked to 17 other properties in the San Francisco Bay Area. NG also owned a body shop, a cell phone store, and other businesses nearby. 
The auto body shop and the cell phone store shared the same electrical supply as the ghost ship. One resident who rented a space in the building during 2014 reported that the entire building's electrical systems was dependent on extension cords. She was so uncomfortable with the safety, safety issues that she slept in her car. Now, that's wild. So imagine, like, you're in an apartment and everything's run by, like, extension cords. Like, extension cords aren't always bad, but if it's nothing but extension cords, like, they, they can cause a fire. They're not the safest things. And I'm sure, like, at this time, like, extension cords were even worse than they are now. And, I mean, and the fact is they were probably cheap extension cords, not even, like, really good ones. Chor NG leased the property to Derek Almina and Nicholas Bochit in 2013. They stated in the lease agreement that the building would be used as an art collective to build and create theatrical sets and offer workshops for community outreach. Almina named the building the ghost ship. He lived on the second floor with his wife and three children. He illegally sublet space on the first floor, charging about 25 resident artists between 300 and 600 a month rent. A one-bedroom apartment at Oakland at the same time typically costs more than 2000 That's fucking crazy. So, I mean, honestly, a good deal. Almina told members of the artist collective who worked and lived there to tell people that the warehouse was a 24-hour art studio and not that they lived there. In 2014 and 2015, Almina told police officer Hector Chavez that no one lived in the building and he repeated the same statement several months before the fire to a police officer, Brian Klein. The collectively was informally known by the tenants as Satya Yoga, a former tenant from 2016, Daniel Bordrex said Almina used the tenant's rent to cover the warehouse rent and use proceeds from parties to pay his living expenses. So this is already kind of sketch. So like, basically the police, or like the police have already asked him about this numerous times, and he kind of just downplayed it like, oh yeah, like no one lives here. So I think that's really what it comes down to, is like I don't think it was necessarily a crime that the fire happened, but the fact that like, people were living there and uh, like it was not supposed to be used by that like it just seems like there would have been a lot more restrictions and a lot more like shit to keep up to code if it was like an actual house versus like a venue and because they lied on that and other people died then that's the issue use of the warehouse building for housing and entertainment was illegal living spaces on the first floor are connected by makeshift hallways constructing of aggregates of salvaged and scavenged materials such as pianos, organs, windows, wood benches, lumbers, and innumerable other items stacked next to or on top of each other. The live workspaces were separated by a variety of things, including wood studs, steel beams, doors, wood frames, bed frames, railings, pianos, chairs, intact motorhomes and trailers, portions of the trailers, congrutilated... Metal sheetings, tapestries, plywood, sculptures, tree stumps, and tree limbs. Okay, this sounds like it was super fucking under... At first, it just sounded like it might have been a shitty thing, but it just seems like this is just a whole fucking hazard at this point. I mean, it said that he and his wife and three children slept in the warehouse. The residents, others verified that he lived with his wife on the second floor and rented the space 
as many as 18 others who lived in the recreational vehicles and makeshift homes on the first floor. A person who described li lived in the warehouse for a time described the building as a weird maze to get through filled with wooden objects. He said he left there because it was too sketchy to continue to stay there. Well, you dodged a bullet, buddy. Uh, one victim of the fire was a building resident. I guess that's pretty good that the other ones, the other building residents didn't get hurt. But a bunch of randoms did, so that still sucks. The city had received 10 complaints about the property since 1998, including formal complaints about hazardous garbage, uh, construction debris around the building, and the Oakland Planning and Building Department opened an investigation to the building on November 13, 2016, based on a complaint about white and illegal interior construction. City building inspectors visited the warehouse on November 17th, confirming the report of blight, but when no one answered the door, were unable to enter and investigate the report of illegal construction. Inspectors are required to obtain permission from owners to gain entry, and when that fails, must seek a court order. A spokesperson for planning and building department stated that the promoters of the event, like the concert on December 2nd, are required to obtain a special permit. But none of those have been issued. The city of Oakland's planning director revealed that the building had not been inspected for three decades. That's fucking crazy. That means 60 years. All through police and fire invested. All through police and fire officials warned that the warehouse was a fire hazard. The ghost ship's founder, Derek in Almina, was reported to have ignored these concerns. The vice president of the local firefighters union said that the fire marshal's office had been understaffed for years and that the fire inspector upon seeing the conditions of the ghost ship would have shut the place down on december 13th the oakland fire chief said there were no indications that this was an active business and there are no city records showing the department had received complaints about the building and the apartment it inspects businesses not buildings Electrical problems. Max Ora, creative director of the Art Collective, said the collective had reported electrical problems to the owner of the building. The East Bay Times reported on March, 2000, two, two, uh, March 24, 2017, that the son of the building's owner wrote an email about electrical problems to Derek Almina on February 5, 2015. The Times stated that the Almina illegally sublit living space to other artists within the warehouse. They found an email showing that the Almina had complained that the owner's son that electricity in the building used ancient and violated lines of distribution were in dire need and total minute upgrade. The paper reported that the electrician who is currently unlicensed had performed the repairs in 2024. He found underground subpanels and deferred maintenance dating back decades requiring immediate intervention he reported to the owners that a single transformer meant for lighting has been used for three businesses and spaces owned by chore ng exceeding its capacity an authority representing the victim's family stated that there were on notice that there were problems with the electricity in october 2018 the ngs reported to civil lawsuit blaming the electrical issues on benjamin cannon who Sublease space from the auto shop. It was revealed that Cannon had installed a new transformer, distribution panels, and breakers after a transformer burned. Cannon wrote in a January 2015 email to 
Kang Yinji that he would install a cheaper transformer. He would be going to use a little bit differently than standard. Kanan's electric, electric contractor license expired on September 2010. All this shit is so out of date, apparently. Fire. On the night of December 2, Harris hosted an electric music concert featuring performers from House Music Record Label 100% Silk and other independent musicians. Between 80 and 100 people attended the event. Alminini's wife and daughters went to the hotel so the girls could sleep. Max Orwa, a jewelry maker and resident, was the doorman that night. When he saw the fire, he raced to his space, grabbing the biggest fire extinguisher he had. Anthony Purdent, who lived next to OHR, grabbed his own fire extinguisher with a third. They tried to put the, the fire out, but waves of the fire exploded across the ceiling, igniting everything it touched. Three men dropped their extinguishers and ran to the front, yelling fire. Uh, Carmen Brito was sleeping in her space in the back when the smell of smoke woke her up. She had enough time to put on her coat and run the front door. Within another minute, the lights failed. Nikki had a space near the front. She barely had time to grab her cat and fled with the fireballs right behind her. That's awesome. She grabbed her cat and made it out. But Ron O'Keefe later testified that within five seconds of seeing the fire, the building exploded into an inferno. He said the smoke was so intense that he and three others could only yell fire before escaping. The fire spread extremely quickly and generated heavy, heavy, deadly smoke. Several factors prevented visitors on the second floor from learning on the fire and impended, impended their escape. Most importantly, there were no fire alarms, fire sprinklers, or smoke alarms in the building. Once the fire was detected, the stairwells and their position relative to exits, the makeshift construction and the huge fuel created by the furnishings made it difficult to survive long enough to escape. Ah! There were two stairways, one in the back and improvised, one near the front. The rear stairwell was concealed behind the stage and furnishings. The front stairwell is made from a, a pile of stacked wooden pallets. A few people on the second floor were able to use the pile of pe pellets to escape. They would crawl along the floor to avoid the dense smoke filling the building, and once on the first floor, struggled to find the front door because of the complicated layout and the many obstacles blocking the passages. The buildings were cluttered with wooden furniture, pianos and art, and mannequins, wooden doors, and pilots used to separate the, the many small living spaces. The Oakland Fire Department Chief Teresa DeLoach Reed told reporters it was a maze almost. The first firefighters from Engine 13, whose station was one and a half blocks away, reached the warehouse at 1127 within three minutes of the first 911 call. Their only access was a minute, a man door that had been cut through a commercial steel roll-up door. One company pushed inside of their hands and knees, trying to stay under the smoke with about 50 feet of hose. The terribly sm terrible smoke conditions offered almost no, almost zero visibility, and they kept bumping in obstacles they couldn't see. They, the, the, they could only advance in a zigzag pattern about 20 feet into a building. Another company pushed a second line in, but they 
two could only advance about 25 feet a.m. Chief James Balron learned that up to 60 people might still be inside, but given the intensity of the, the smoke and fire, he believed any of the survivors would be found within their initial attack into the building. Concerned about the losing the nearby buildings, Brown called a second alarm at 11.31 and a third alarm seven minutes after that. The pallet stairwell was initially reported as the building's only stairs. The import- authority said once the pallet stairs caught on fire, it was instantly incinerated. Any party goers on the second floor who had still been alive could not get down. No firefighter could even locate the pallet staircase. In any case, either stairwell neither stairway led to directly to one of the two exits about 22 minutes after the firefighters arrived the, the fire suddenly lit, lit up the sky night sky four truck companies of firefighters were inside they told Balrin that the second floor was already almost completely involved Balrin feared for the safety of the firefighters due to the intensity of the fire and the danger of the second floor collapsing Balron ordered the firefighters to withdraw. They fought a surrender and drowned exterior defensive operation from the point forward. Seven minutes later, the fire began blowtorching out the roof. Most of the second floor collapsed soon after. Later on, the wood-clad steel beam collapsed as well. It took 52 firefighters using 14 pieces of apparatus until... 4.36 a.m. to declare the fire under control. The firefighters who had been on the scene all night knew that dozens of people were missing. They were shaken up knowing they could not have knowing they had not rescued a single person. The next day, the fire department search and rescue personally began to stabilize the structure before they could search for the victims. They deployed drone aircrafts using thermal imaging that unsuccessfully searched for survivors due to the nature of the incident. Investigators removed debris slowly and carefully, and it was, it was three days before the last bodies were discovered. All but one of those killed were visitors to the warehouse. Seven victims were found on the remaining portion of the second floor, trapped by smoke and missing stairwell of wooden pallets that had burned. The other 29 victims were found on the first floor, one within the feet of the side exit. Some of the victims were found hurtled together and some unburned under the collapsed second floor. Fire origins. An early report blamed the fire on a faulty refrigerator. This was the cause rejected by agents from the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives. All through agents initially left open the possibility that it was started by another electrical appliance of a component. Investigators found something screwed, welded, tacked, hammered, or nailed on every square inch of the building. According to Chief, the fuel load out inside was nothing short of incredible. The debris included wooden pallets, statues, piles of furniture, mobile homes, mannequins, Fire department operations described the first floor as a labyrinth. On June 19, 2017, the Oakland Fire Department, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the Almedia County Arson Task Force issued a 50-page report providing new details on the fire and subsequent recovery efforts. 
The report confirmed that all victims had died of smoke inhalation, the most common cause of fire fatality as previously reported. Investigators concluded that the fire began in the northwest area of the ground floor and documented extensive damage to the electrical systems, but were unable to pinpoint the precise cause due to the extent of the fire. The reports also documents why it took days to remove the bodies from the blaze was out. As investigators were forced to slowly sift through the cluttered debris of collapsed interiors. Criminal investigation. A criminal investigation was launched by the Alameda County District Attorney's Office on December 4th. The arson investigation was also launched. Oakland Mayor Libby Scalf said charges against anyone found responsible would range from involuntary manslaughter to murder. The public remarks on January 2003 or 2017, the 23rd, lawyers for Almina claimed that the fire originated in the building adjacent to the warehouse and that Almina should not be held responsible. A report of the investigations published on February 8, 2017, stated the investigators were unable to find an origin, though the investigation was ongoing and that the electric systems was part of the analysis. On March 14, 2017, Oakland Fire Department Chief Teresa Reed retired amidst questions about the inspection procedures and management. The Almadia County lead prosecutor in charge of the investigation had been requesting the city's fire department's report for several weeks when he finally received a copy on March 17th. Its contents were not released to the public. On March 21, 2017, a judge ruled that the debris from the fire must be preserved as potential evidence in pending lawsuits. And then you got a picture of Derek Almina, which is just some dude with gauges that looks kind of like the lead singer of uh, Sisma Down. Max Harris, another dude with gauges. These dudes look like they would be like like some dudes from like a tattoo artist. This this is the the world the liberals want. On July 8, 3, 2018, Almina and Harris even each pled no contest to 36 counts of involuntary manslaughter. According to their agreement, Almina was to be sentenced to nine years in prison and Harris to six. Some family members of those who died testified and protested the plea deal. Sentencing was set for August 9, but on August 10, 2018, the judge in the case threw out the plea deal, stating that Derek Almina failed to accept full responsibility and remorse. The judge said that he would have accepted the plea deal for Harris, but Harris showed remorse, but the plea deal was made with both Almina and Harris. During the problem, the preliminary hearings, building owner Chor NG was questioned but invoked her Fifth Amendment and right to avoid testifying and that the possibility of incriminating herself. NG is among a number of parties that were being sued by the relatives of the victims. Witnesses described the ghost ship warehouse as a death trap. Amina and Harris individually face the possibilities of penalties ranging from probation 
to 36 years in prison if the prosecutor could prove criminal negligence and an unanimous jury found them guilty pending trial Amin and Harris both remained in jail unable to pay 75 $7, in bail Amina's attorney Tori Siri and Harris attorney Clert- Curtis Briggs both said that much of their defense would involve uh, diverting blame to others. The trial began on April 2, 2019. Prosecution witnesses testified about the history of violations found over the years. Almina contradicted their statements, saying all the city police and fire officials were lying. During his testimony, he said a building inspector, a child protective service agent, six members of the fire department, three police officers have been to the building several times on social occurrences and never mentioned any violations. Almino blamed the landlord for tricking him into renting a building that lacked adequate plumbing or electricity. Almina and Harris's attorneys claimed that the fire was arsons. They called a witness who said she overheard a group of unidentified unidentified men at a taco truck claiming credit for starting the fire. Former Oakland Fire Marshal Mariah Salvatina was called for prosecution. She had been one of the principal fire investigators. She testified that all three investigators believed the cause was probably an electrical fire. They could not determine the source because the fire destroyed possible indicators and and there was no sign of arson. The mother of Nicholas Rochade, who co-signed the lease with Almina, testified that she helped her son with the research and plans to develop the artist collective. She met with her son, Almina, and his wife in 2013. She provided information... Let me get some coffee. ...on how they could obtain permits to upgrade the buildings and grants to help pay the cost. She said that Almina laughed at her and said he would do things on his own. Nicholas Brochett became certain about the modifications to the building that the Almina made, including a 20 by 20 foot, 6 by 0.1 hole in the wall. It's like a glory hole and distanced himself from the project. Not really for sure how big of a hole that is. Uh, Police officer Moses Palinko visited the building in 2015 on body cam footage played during the trial. He was heard saying, it's a huge fireplace in here. Prosecutors attempted to show that Almina failed to place smoke alarms, emergency exit signs, and fire suspension systems in the building while filling the space with art projects, furniture, sculptures, windows, doors, and salvaged and scavengered used items that made it difficult for the victims to find a way out. The prosecution showed that all the victims died of smoke inhalation, not burns. Almina was asked during his testimony if he had obtained legal permits for the kitchen he installed, for a side door for the plumbing or electrical work on the stairs in the front of the building. Almina said he had no permits for anything. He also said he didn't obtain operational permits for events because he didn't think they were required. Harris testified that the title of executive director he sometimes used was 
inflated and attempt to add authority to his emails to landlords and event planners. But during his testimony, the prosecutor was able to show that Harris had a role in communicating about rent with landlords, negotiated terms and evictions with other tenants, and was the primary contact for the group who presented the concert and the party on the night of the blaze. The jury convened on Wednesday, July 31st, 2019, on August 20, after 10 days of weighing on evidence. The judge replaced three of the jurors. The jury was required to restart deliberations. Two of the dismissed jurors could be charged with contempt for allegedly violating the judge's rules about reading or talking to the media about the case. On the same day, the judge also dismissed Two motions by the defense of the mistrial. On September 4th, 2019, deliberations ended when the jury deadlocked 10 to 2 for a conviction on the 36 counts manslaughter charges pending against Almina. Resulting in a mistrial, Harris was acquitted on all 36 charges. Harris was released from jail while Almina remain behind bars at at a hearing on October 4th, 2019. The judge set a new trial date for Almina in March, 2020. A defense motion that his 750,000 bail be reduced was denied. Almina remained in jail on January 31st, 2020. The trial was scheduled to begin in May and jury selection was began in early April, the defense lawyers said the statute of limitations meant the warehouse owners could no longer be prosecuted. They planned to call the NG family as witnesses in Alimony's next trial. On January 22, 2001, Derek Almi pleaded guilty to 36 charges of manslaughter, involuntary, one of, one of each person killed in the fire as part of a plea deal under which he would serve between nine to 12 years in prison. He was released on bond the previous May because of the coronavirus concerns and posted a $150,000 bail bond. On March 8th, 2021, Almina was was sentenced to 12 years in prison, which time served he was expected to. He was expected to be able to serve his sentence in 18 months on home confinement while wearing an ankle monitor. So, I mean, honestly, he got about, I mean, it's really, he really went down a lot. Rather be in jail, I guess, or rather be on house arrest in that situation. Several lawsuits, numerous lawsuits pleaded to the fire to have been filed by 80 plaintiffs, naming 100% silk. Pacific Gas and Electric Company, Ben Canick, Derek N. Almini, Max Harris, uh, Chor NG, the City of Oakland, Al- Almedia County, and the State of California were subsequently cons- consolidated. The plaintiff's attorneys included Garendi and Carice, one of the firms which Gained fame for taking on PG&E in the Hickley, California case that inspired the movie Aaron Brockovich. While a case, while a cause was never determined for the fire on 
December 17, 2019, U.S. bankruptcy judge Dennis Martinez allowed the plaintiff's case claiming that the fire was caused by an electrical malfunction to continue against PG&E, which, if successful, would receive money from PG&E's $900 million insurance bill, but is not eligible to be part of the $13.5 billion alluded for the claims arising from the wildfires. Butt Fire, Tubbs Fire, Camp Fire, and the 2017 North Bay Fires. When questioned during the preliminary, the warehouse owner, Chor NG, and her daughter and son all pleaded the Fifth Amendment to every question. The civil attorneys were waiting until after the criminal statute of limitations ends on December 2nd, 2019, three years since the fire. They were expected to get depositions from the NGSs. In July 2020, the Oakland City settled a civil lawsuit for the victims and agreed to pay a total of 36 million and 9 million to one person who survived with lifelong injuries and 24 million families of the 36 who perished in the fire. In August 2020, PG&E settled a civil lawsuit for the 32 of the victims out of the 36 who perished in the flames. The amount of the settlement was undisclosed. It was limited to the amount available under the pg and ease insurance coverage for the year 2016. Reactions. We're almost there, baby. In an interview, Oakland City of Council's members, Noel Galileo, said the city officials need to enforce the codes that we have and that we should have been more assertive in the past. The Oakland um, Athletics baseball team offered to match donations for those affected up to 30,000. The Oakland Raiders football team soon joined them. The Oakland base Golden State Warriors basketball team announced a donation of 50,000 to the Fruitville based Unity Council. The Warriors announced an additional 75,000 donations relief efforts on December 7, 2016, Warriors player Steph Curry auctioned off two pairs of his shoes for 45000 to benefit the Oakland Fire Relief Fund. And by December 9, 2016, the Gray Foundation for the Arts had raised over 550000 and scheduled a benefit concert for December 14, 2016, Fincher and Bay Area musicians such as Promise, Tune Yards, and Boots Rally. A Facebook safety check was deployed in early 2016 to help people find the whereabouts of friends who might be in attendance. On December 3, 2016, the record label 100% Silk posted on their Facebook page, What happened in Oakland is unbelievable tragedy, a nightmare scenario. Britt and I are beside ourselves, utterly devastated we are a very tight community of artists and we are all praying and sending love and condolences to everybody involved and their filaments almina who had not attended the party posted a message on facebook at around 1 30 that he will soon be cr- criticized for he mentioned failed to mention the victims confirmed everything i worked 
so hard is gone and blessed that my children and Micah were at the hotel safe and sound. If It's as if I am have awoken from a dream filled with opulence and hope to be standing now in poverty of self-worth. Amina said he was unaware that people had been killed in a brief interview on December 5th. He spoke of the families of the victims saying, they are my children, they are my friends, they are my family, they are my loves, they are my future. In another interview on December 6th, Almina said he was incredibly sorry in defending himself against charges of profit-seeking, saying this is not profit, this is loss, this is a mass grave. On the night of December 5th, 2016, hundreds of people attended Virgil's in Oakland and San Francisco in honor of the victims. Local residents, including artists and tenants' rights activists, had cited the fire as a symptom of the San Francisco Bay Area's underlying house crisis. I agree with that. Like, apartments too th- being $2,000, it's no wonder, like, people were, like, lining up to live in some makeshift-ass building. Just saying. City inspectors have voiced suspicions that dozens of live-work warehouses similar to the ghost ship exist in Oakland. On December 6, 2016, Mayor Libby Scalf announced $1.7 million in grant funding to create affordable spaces for artists and art organizations. She announced a planned revival and expansion of a task force on artist housing and workspaces, the creation of a fire safety task force. Comparisons were drawn between this fire and the 1990 Happy Land Fire, a nightclub fire, in New York City that claimed 87 lives. The Happy Land Fire also involved controversial operations of the fire that suffered from similar conditions, including lack of emergency exits and poor maintenance. In June 2017, local artist Chris Edwards built a boat sculpture in the memory of Ghost Ship and installed it in a nearby Emeryville Harbor. People have used it to visit and leave flowers. Okay, so my 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 uh, summary of what happened is basically this dude kind of just had a little art exhibit area and just kind of fucking had a shit ton of people living in it that shouldn't have been in it and was just kind of using it to make a shit ton of extra money. Like, you know, just renting out spaces inside a space that he shouldn't even been renting out. And it just wasn't safe for people to live in, but he did it anyways. And the way that the whole thing was set up was just random shit piled on each other's stumps. So it just made it to the point where, like, literally, like, by the time it set fire, it was just, like, you know, like, just imagine starting a fire with some logs. That's how the fire started, like, you got stumps in there. You got all this stuff that's just easily going to blaze. It's an art studio. Like, all this paper, all this, like. It was a disaster waiting to happen. And in my opinion, was it electrical fire? I don't know if it was electrical fire. Because it's kind of weird that the night that the festival happened or the event, that that's when it actually happened. So it could have been deliberate. It could have been somebody deliberately starting the fire, but, like, even then, it's like the negligence of him to have this business and to be using it to rent out and then not have your shit up to code, not even have a couple exit signs, not have the building to, 
easily to be exitable and all this stuff and just pretty much just making it to where it's like a death trap like yeah he deserves some years for it so it might his neglect was definitely there like and i think that overall he deserves to be in jail man and like i'm looking at the the picture of the building and it's pretty sad that this had to happen and if there's anything to be learned from this it's that like you know, if you want to save money, by all means, save money. But if you're saving money by not keeping your shit up to code, then sooner or later, it's going to cause issues. If this dude would have had his shit up to code, he wouldn't be fucking owing millions of dollars and being stuck being in jail for years on his life. So just keep your shit up to code. And, like, you shouldn't be running all your shit off, like, extension cords and some ghetto-rigged-ass apartment system. But yeah, in my opinion, the whole thing's sad. And it's really shitty that a bunch of artists died in this fire. And I hope this is a lesson to not half-ass something. If you're going to do something, make it something good for the community. And in a way, it kind of feel bad because it's like he was letting them stay for like 300 bucks. So in a way, he was kind of just trying to help people out. But at the same time, it's like your neglect led to people dying. So it's like at what cost? you know but i also think that 2000s insane price for living in that like if if the, if we want to get people to stop doing like shit like this then they need to like actually have affordable living like so many people are to blame in this situation that it's just unfucking real but yeah that's the ghost ship warehouse fire for you and uh most importantly shout out jaylist shout out play asia uh feel free to support my page and I'll be dropping some more of these. 